0: Welcome to the Business with Beers podcast. This is the place where we help entrepreneurs expand their business, build their wealth, and generate passive income. I'm your host, Brian Beers, an entrepreneur who's on a mission to inspire growth from everyone around me. Remember that you need to take the actions others won't, and you can live the life that others don't. Please be sure to check out my weekly newsletter that now drops every Thursday, includes one quote, one tweet, one podcast recommendation, plus some business and investing insight from me. It's short and it's sweet. My goal is to provide you with just a couple gold nuggets to help inspire your growth. Go to BrianBeers.com to subscribe. Hello everyone I'm excited today to bring you Matt Adelman Matt is a partner at Kyoto Consulting a food and beverage brokerage that helps companies sell and market their products to retailers nationwide welcome to the show Matt hey thanks for having me awesome so to start can you give us an idea of your journey maybe from 18 years old or so to kind of where you got now into the the food and beverage industry
1: yeah sure I mean my my journey is is convoluted but there's kind of a, a consistent theme that that rolls through it with the food world and uh uh, again, before I jump in, thanks for having me on. Um, I think randomly things happen. On Monday, when I was listening to your last podcast, it was with uh, Kira Holmes. Okay. They were yeah. at my house cleaning my house. Oh my god! <laughs> really? That's, that's so, awesome. I think it's it's cool to see some familiar names pop up. Yeah. But yeah, you sound so, like the target uh, customer of theirs though, so that makes this makes sense. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so, like most people, I, I went to college, got a degree. Uh, I was going to be a dentist. Um, and by the time that I was ready to graduate, realized I realized I don't want to do that at all. I love food. And so I was going to become a chef. The hour sucked. So I didn't go that route either. And a couple years later, I did insurance sales, just was really confused and didn't know what to do. I landed a, a job at, at Super Value. Uh, Super Value is a really large grocery distributor in, the, in out of Minnesota. They had just acquired Albertson stores. Um, so they had just become a major grocery player uh, and I was brought in to be an analyst on the bakery team. I knew nothing about any of this stuff, but they liked me in the interview. They brought me in. and uh, you know, I've spent the last call of fifteen years in the food industry managing all sorts of different brands and categories for major retailers for uh, Land Lakes on the marketing side of the world, at Target Corporation, managing the deli division. If you've ever bought a food product at Target, that was something our team built and put together and put out there. and And now today I'm part of a, a consulting team that helps manufacturers that make food uh, and make retail CPG products get into places like Target and Albertsons and Costco and really wherever. So okay. it's, it's been a winding path, but uh, uh, I, I'm super happy where I am now. And we do a lot of really cool stuff.
0: Cool. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about some of that. So... So in your current role, do, do companies come to you with a, with an idea, with a concept? And then are you you're consulting to say, hey, I think this is gonna work, this is not gonna work? Like walk me through like what does the process look like from like you get the lead to the call to, to you start working with them?
1: Sure. The the food industry is, I mean, it's it's still old school as it can be. We we do get some calls in and we do have some folks that are reached out through you know, email, whatever, but oftentimes you're meeting someone at a food show and you're going to their booth and you're looking at what they have and uh, if something kind of looks right, or or there's capabilities that you see there that you know a customer wants, like Target, uh, you start to have a conversation with them to say, well, what what are you guys all about? What can you do? Uh, are you interested in trying to go after, um, you know, a large player, or are you guys more of a regional brand? So it really it starts at the the typically a trade show level, um, and then yeah, we're we're going to sit down and talk about what do you guys make today? Does it fit in retail? This is what the customer wants. Can you do X, Y, Z? And it becomes this really big uh back and forth collaboration okay. on trying to get a product that fits the market. So
0: so backing up a step, just so I understand. So so Target then hires you guys and other companies like you to then help like bring products into their store.
1: Can you can you like walk with the relationships again? Can you break that down? Sure. The the industry. So we're hired by the manufacturer side and and Target or whoever. I mean they're it, We're there to really help support... I know Target, right? So I work a lot with them. The the manufacturer would hire me or hire a company to say, we want to launch, I don't know, donuts. Here's what we can do today. Uh, Help us figure out how we go to Target. Now, a lot of people in this space would just bring the product to Target or bring it wherever and say, here's a donut, do you want to sell it? But I've worked on both sides of the desk. So a lot of what we do and specialize in is, is sitting down with the manufacturer and saying, we need to tweak X, Y, or Z. We need to do this. This is the flavor profile. This is the size it needs to be. This is how it needs to go through the transportation system and 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 all of that sort of stuff. Um, And so we're helping inform the vendors who is our customer to ultimately get the product to shelf. Okay, and that that's because
0: sense? Y- you used to work for Target. You were on the. You said you're on the other side as part of your history, but just that was part of your role was on the other
1: side of it, buying from
0: manufacturers.
1: Right. Got right. it. So got I, it. I was the guy at Target deciding, hey, I like that donut. Let's bring it in. Uh, but I need it to do all of these different things that it doesn't do today. Got it, got it. Cool. So that's I guess that's part of your competitive advantage is
0: this consulting company now is because you're on both sides of it versus somebody who's just, you know, kind of all push, no pull, or whatever it whatever it looks like.
1: Right. Yeah. A lot a lot of people, especially smaller up and coming um food companies, or really any person that makes a product that they want to sell into a big retail company. They think their product is like the perfect thing as is, right? <laughs> and so they, they put all this time into designing what what they think is right. And they don't always take into account like, what does the person at Target want? What does the final guest want? What does the consumer really want at the end of the day? So a lot of people are really focused on, here's the capabilities I have. Mm-hmm. Matt, just go sell this as is. And where we come in, it's like, well, I appreciate your capabilities, but we got to tweak a couple of things because it doesn't fit in its current current yeah. form.
0: So Are there some are like totally obvious ones that, that are kind of like, the no-brainers that you have to kind
1: of walk them through each time, in terms of the what's like, I don't know, the, the the packaging of it or whatever. So usually, what ends up happening, we so we work a lot in the the deli and the bakery business. So we're in like the fresh, think like the the, I don't want to call it the fancy part of the store, but that's where a lot of like artisanal products are. We work with a lot of artisanal brands that artisanal is like fancy, the, right? For yeah, the cheese, better or like the pepperoni. Cheese or... is a great example. Yep. Yep. So. I'll go meet with the cheese manufacturer who makes like the greatest cheese ever, right? And it it is really, really good, and it's awesome, and it's it's so high end and so cutting edge. Uh, there's only so many people across the country that really care about really high end cheese, and so it's going into a company like that, or or a charcuterie company that makes you know sliced meat or cured meats, and saying we have to figure out how to hit the masses with your product. Uh, Otherwise, you're only going to sell into boutiques, which is totally fine if that's the business model you want. But it's having that conversation with a lot of folks to to help them understand their product is it's awesome, it's great, but it needs to change a little bit if depending on where you want to go, target market type stuff. Gotcha. Which could be down like a downgrade from their
0: top tier level, right? If they want to get to it, could be a
1: downgrade. It could be a size change, right? Like they make this super fancy product and it's a one pound item and it costs twenty bucks. We'll make this super fancy product, but make it a six ounce item and it costs 10 bucks. Maybe that's more appetizing. Hmm. Or it could be a complete product rechange. Like there's lots of options we're going to go down. But uh, at the end of the day, it's always we know what's going to sell at retail. We know what the buyers are looking for and what the customers want for the accounts we call on. And then it's guiding the manufacturers to, to create that product that fits into it. Okay. Are there any big
0: trends that you see that are, that are changing in the whole like, you know, consumer products?
1: you know the the product you're bringing in now versus what it was a while ago in the food space it, it has changed dramatically in the last 2 years I, are you a big foodie do you do you follow any big food trends sort i mean i'm aware of them <laughs> so in what we'll call it 2018 2019 there was a really big push for like plant based yep. super healthy all of this flexitarian lifestyle right and then the world shuts down and I mean, if you saw pictures, right? Grocery stores were completely out of stock. Yep. Except there was w- one product type that was in every grocery store. You could find it everywhere. If you wanted plant based items, that was like your time to shine because that's all that was left. Cause nobody wanted it. <laughs> they wanted the tried and true things that just gave them comfort and made them happy. And okay. you know, at the yep. end of the day, like if I'm stuck at home, I want a great tasting item. I, so. Things like that that were kind of more cutting edge, people didn't really know what it was yet. That's mm. really slowed down a lot in the last couple of years, and there's been a huge shift back to comfort in in this crazy inflation economy that we have right now. Right, everything I'm sure you've heard the food industry in particular yeah. has just been absolutely crushed by this. And so, like, if I'm going to go buy again a dessert, right, a bakery item, right? I'm going to spend ten dollars on it. that thing. Better be really good. And so we yep. see a lot of shift back towards um, things that are really easy to make. So we call it like ready to cook or ready to heat. Like think uh, a steak that's already seasoned, right? I'm going to yep. bring it home. I'm just going to cook it. I know it's going to taste good. I'm going to buy a really decadent dessert item. So it's like all this health and wellness stuff pre-COVID is gone. It, it's back to just give me good products at a price that's kind of okay. Yep. Which just crazy. Yeah. Have you seen with
0: with a lot of the... Uh, I don't know, shift towards other people doing the shopping and like delivering it, getting groceries delivered. I don't know. We get groceries delivered, right? Has has that behavior been a, a shift at all in terms of the products that are that are moving more now because of because of it all?
1: Yeah, it's it it's been a huge change. Um, so in 2019 ish, something like one to two percent of all grocery sales were done digitally online through some sort of shipping service or pickup at store, or whatever. It was projected by like 2030 that that online digital sale would get to about five or 6%. In the middle of 2020, when we were all shut down and at home, digital penetration of, of grocery jumped to 10%. So, in, in one year, right? In 10x. It went yeah. from 1% to 10%. It exceeded the, the forecast of the next 20 years, just in, a, in, in the blink of an eye. So, this whole alternative way of shopping and delivery service and how you get your food and how you get your groceries. It, it's changed so much already in the last two years. And I'd say 10 years from now, you you can get food wherever the hell you want to. Yeah. Right. There's, do, do there's companies s- testing robots and it's yeah. crazy.
0: Do you see them moving towards like, I don't know, you know, you hear ghost kitchens, right? They cook the food like somewhere else and it's like delivered. I don't know. Right. Is there something like that with, do you think in the food where, you know, they can have these more industrial places that then getting deliveries out of instead of the prime real estate, whole foods or target, you know, strip center or is that yeah, not, the, not a thing?
1: Well, it, it really depends on on the retail that you're talking about. Like ghost kitchens, um, they're becoming more and more popular in the food service side, right? I want I want lunch or dinner, or whatever. Like wh- I don't know when the last time you went to a a, a quick service places, um, but most of the time you pull up and drive thrus open or pickups open. You can't eat inside most restaurants right now. Still, they just yep. say like we can't staff it. Yep. Right. So yep. the ghost kitchen concept in food service is picking up, and I think it's here to stay. On the on the Actual grocery store side. If you don't have people coming into your stores, you you miss out on a lot of the impulse and you miss out on a lot of the cross selling opportunities. Mm. So I don't I don't think it's going to completely shift that way. But you know, if you go out of America, like Singapore, th- it's big in, in that market. Technology and and everything and the way you shop, like you don't even have a cart. You don't have checkouts anymore. You put oh, it wow. in this little robot thing and drives around the store and you put stuff in there and then you go to your car. It runs through the checkouts on its own. It rings up on its own, and then it goes to your car. Yeah, wait. that's crazy. Yeah, you hear uh, Amazon
0: testing that in a number of stores. Some of those that that concept at these very small like footprints. So it'd be interesting to see. Uh, if, yeah, if we continue to evolve, that'd be nice. You know, it's terrible to wait in line. You know, after you've spent you know, for me like <laughs> half hour wandering around the store trying to find stuff because I'm never there. <laughs> but uh, I
1: get that right, and it's the the Aval- or the, the Amazon. Test like in, in theory, I do think that's going to become much more of, of the norm. It's the the contactless paying, the the no waiting in line, right? You you get an item, you put it in your basket, and your basket knows what you have. And then you press a button, and I'm done. And you check out, and you go. Like it, it has to, right? Because right now, you go to the grocery store and you stand in line for twenty minutes because I do not enough people to to hire yeah. to be a cashier. Yep, it's it's kind of a self fulfilling thing. Cool. So back to back to some of the the
0: the companies you worked with. So what are what are some of the most successful products that you've helped launch? And you know, kind of what what are some of the factors that you think made it successful? Um, man, that's that's
1: a good question. Or favorite, we are,
0: favorite ones. I don't know if you successful. Just I don't know favorite ones to work with that you think people
1: may be familiar with. I think I mean me personally, the my favorite program that I was ever a part of. Um, again, this is at Target. If if you walk into to Target any of the 1800 stores that have refrigeration across the country, if you go and buy the good and gather, uh, ready to cook proteins, we were talking about this just okay. a, a little while ago, this, this segment. So we're, we're, we're talking about chicken strips and shredded chicken and marinated fully cooked items.
0: Okay. Um, barbecue, we,
1: we, to, like pulled pork, that kind of thing.
0: Exactly. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. yep I've seen this. Um,
1: so we, we launched that. I it, six, seven years ago. And, um, and it, it, it was a good fit, but we had the chance to redo it around 2018-2019 when Target launched a brand new brand, Good & Gather. And we did a complete rehaul. And it was the first huge major program where we... I mean, we went to every single person we could possibly think of and get insights from them on flavors. What do you like? What type of flavor? What type of shred? What like, Do you like this diced chicken or this stripped chicken? Like The amount of research that went into designing just... 16 food items that sit on a shelf was, was incredible to me. Maybe a little overkill, but at the end of the day, when we launched that product and it happened to fit into this time period, we were just talking about where this category in particular took off. But I mean, we tripled the sales on that program in one year and, and not in like a a cheating the system away, but in a way where it was like, dang, man. We we made some really great products, and it's really delivering on what we set out to do. And and the products continue to just grow and grow and grow. That that was a really cool massive uh, program. Yeah. That That's awesome. I mean, it took all sorts of folks to put it together. So what are, what do
0: the margins look like at the different levels? So like I don't know if you have an example of something that sells for like ten dollars or something at Target, like to the customer, like let's take like back into like what what is Target buying that for?
1: It really depends on the grocery store you're talking about and the division. So you could walk into the bakery department, their margin requirements can be vastly different than if you walk okay. into the bread aisle. Got it. Yep. Right? So, so, so if buy, you go buy fresh baked bread, yeah, much better margins. I it, imagine by department. The the more premium, the more fresh, the more labor that went into it. Typically, it's going to have higher margins on it. The more it looks just manufactured in a factory, the, the typically the, the lower the margins. Yeah, can't suit. Right. Yeah. Um, but it really depends on then the retailer that you're shopping at, right? If you go to Costco, Costco charges a membership fee. They make very little margin on the product because they make all their money on the membership fee. That's why it's so cheap. Yep. You go to someone like uh, Acme or Albertsons or these high low retailers who they're going to make a huge margin on their item every day, but they're going to promote the crap out of it, <laughs> you know, 26, 30 times a year, right? Mm. It's almost always on deal and they're really not going to make. You know they never sell it at the full price and make the full margin. They always make the promoted price because that's when people buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Target and the people in between, you know, they set a, a reasonable margin for for their stores where they just have an everyday good price. Walmart, good example, right? Yep. There is promotion, but not that much. Um, in the food world, I mean, I think you could look at at Walmart's financials for the year. It's something like twelve to eighteen percent margin on their food business. Okay, so so not so they're making the dollar.
0: 18 on it. So they're buying it for $8 eight rub or more than that, I guess, eight, eight eighty something like that. It's like their cost. something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're buying so those, those. And, tight margins, some more fees and them, that's gross, but... right? Cause then even after that, they've got payroll and rent and insurance and they got to run the business and
1: bingo. Um,
0: yep. Then what about on the, what about on the manufacturer side? Like, do they have their certain KPIs they're trying to hit? Like, so their targets buying it for $8 or whatever. Like, is it, is it similar tight
1: or they got they got more room on it? It it really <laughs> if it's a sophisticated manager who or uh, re- manufacturer who has um you know really good lines set up and they really know how to how to manufacture, you know, they can make 20, 30, 40, 50 percent on on their products. But oftentimes what we find, especially right now, you, a lot of people have neglected making their manufacturing work really good over the years. Um, and so I mean, we're talking pretty slim margins for a lot of these people. High single digits, dou- low double digits. Um, it's not like there are not many people out there making hundreds of percent on anything.
0: Okay. Yeah. N- yeah, okay. And and that's gross too, right? Not even that. We're talking just gross margins, like what they're what the cost of the product is versus you know what they're selling it for.
1: Right. Yeah. Okay. Exactly.
0: Yeah, food food's a tough business. That's what I've always even in grocers. You hear grocers at the end of the day, they're making like single digit nets, you know, three four percent maybe, and it's um it's 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 not an easy business. That's probably in part why these big conglomerates, right? Is they like they
1: kind of need the the volume to to really make the dollars. They need the volume, man. So well, you mentioned the the kind of the ghost kitchen idea. Um, I mean, think about it like this. You know, you get the ads in the the paper, right? And on the front page, it's got one pound of ground beef for a dollar, whatever it is, right? The super, super hot priced items on the ads, they're usually selling at a loss. A okay. lot of these retailers. It's just to get you in the door. Yep. Right? So if you take away getting people in the door, that's like half of the strategy is gone.
0: Yep. Yep. So then they have to do it through their app, right? Like you're you're shopping <laughs> through the app and then that's where the like they, they probably have to get better at the, the cross promotions and the selling and the recommendations and all that stuff. But... Um, they have so far to go
1: in that space. Yeah. Some yeah. of them are
0: really terrible. I know the ones, some of the ones we use just crash like all the time. And it's, it's ex- extremely frustrating. Um, as, as part two, but, but also
1: yeah, think yeah. about this. I went to a, well, good. you good. You're good. I went to a, um, right before the everything shut down, I went to this digital trade show thing out in vegas they brought on all these retailers and all the all the buyers and all these cpg manufacturers to talk about digital trends and what's happening and one of the big grocery chains got up there to talk about their app this is back to what you were just saying and uh what they were most excited about in their app was that they could serve up their weekly ad to more people the same mm. ad that went in the newspaper mm. right so they were happy on the digital side to just be able to serve the same thing that they were already said like there's no innovation there's nothing yeah. else about cross promotion or you know, getting a little smarter about the business. Does, does each one have their
0: own? Is that part of it? Versus like, you know, so they each independently are trying to like move in the same direction versus you think, I don't know, again, they probably don't want a shared like software provider, but you think that somebody comes in and makes just a better mousetrap and then license it to all these
1: different companies. A lot of them are trying to do their own thing and they don't have the budgets to do it or or the the know-how to do it, um, which is why you see such a disjointed mm. digital experience from so many grocery stores. Yeah.
0: Cool. So, kind of pivoting to, um, I don't know, maybe on, on, a, on a kind of more personal note, in terms of, so you, you make money f- from your job and your work and kind of your investments, and then and then where do you where do you put your money? How do you, how do you, I guess, view kind of growing your wealth? Uh, I see you got Psychology of Money behind you there. It's a great book. One, one of my favorites. <laughs> so I
1: uh, probably subscribe yeah. to similar concepts. But um,
0: but anyway, so how do you how do you kind of
1: view all that? Uh, you know, on the investment side, I I diversify a little bit. I've got some money in the stock market, but I I went big into real estate. I don't know seven eight years ago, uh, building up a rental portfolio. So most most of the money that we have um, at the end of the day goes back into building the rental portfolio. In a in a very hands off way, though. Okay, okay, all all in your area in Minneapolis. We we're not in Minneapolis, but we're all in Minnesota. Okay, so we we picked a, a slightly different smaller city center to to buy rentals in and we have a management team up there they do all the stuff for us. Okay. That's that's good. Is that is that kind of the, the continued path or is it
0: going in a different direction or is, do you like it?
1: Man, I uh I I've gone so back and forth on this one and I I had visions of being this apartment guy and wholesaler and flipping and at, at the end of the day, you know, it, this has been a journey, dude, like right. I, I'm talking two months ago. I sat down and was like, "Food is what I love and what I really know. Like, why am I killing myself trying to do all this real estate stuff?" And uh, so the path forward is, we'll keep acquiring single family duplexes, small apartments in in the the area we invest in. We'll passively let it manage and just focus on growing the food business and and launching more food products. Yeah. Yeah, I've been been on that
0: same journey as you where we actually, you know, similar, we had to some flips, we did some single family homes and, you know, and then I was getting, you know, we were, you know, I, 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 you know we had management companies, but they they weren't the best. And then I, I'd be getting all these calls and I'd be dealing all these tenant issues and like, you know, I had $10,000 repair on a, on a place that cash flowed like $300 a month. Like it would take 30 months, like three years to pay back. What this this one thing cost us, and it was like, why am I, why am I doing all this? Like, this is not like yeah. this doesn't make sense. All the all the like time, the energy, the effort, that like the mental space that you have to dedicate to worrying about, you know, I had a lady die and die in a place, and it's like all this stuff, oh, right? Man. Like, she was the same one that had the the ten thousand dollar repair to it, and the place must have been like cursed. But um, oh geez. So all this stuff that's like you know, like at the end of the day, is it is it all worth it? Versus saying, hey, what if I just take that energy, I apply it to my business, I could totally like. Get way more compounded gains and cash flow, and then I can have m- more money that I can then go and put in passive things, whether it's you know a more passive role in real estate or whether it's syndications or you know uh, there's tons of different things you can do that beyond the stock market. Absolutely, um, and then like not Absolutely. worry about it. Yeah, and I think a lot like in the psychology of money, and I think it's like it's like, one of my favorite books I've read over the past year, which is that that concept of you just you just compound, you just like keep putting money, you don't worry, you don't play the games, like. And you, you play, you play different games. And like, like a lot of times we play a long-term game in our minds where we're like, we want, uh, you know, it's a 10 year timeline, right? Or, or a 30 year time or a 50 year timeline. But then we're like looking at the daily stock price and we're like trying to compete with like day traders and all this stuff. <laughs> but it's like, they're playing a short-term game. Right. Right. And most people, like 95% of the people, or maybe it's higher. We play a long-term game. But if we start competing to try to play a short term game mindset by looking at the stock price every single day, it like totally defeats the purpose if we're trying to like you know play these games of
1: timing the market and all this stuff. So anyway, it's uh Well you like, uh, you can't, right? Yeah, you like can. it's just yeah, it's, it's what is the stat I was I always butcher it, right? Uh eleven times or whatever in the last twenty years, if you were out of the stock market yeah, for eleven like days, you'd lose like a hundred percent of the reach. It's just There's no point. It's so draining. That psychology of money book, I mean, talks about this. It's such an important part and like be in it for the long term, whatever you're going to do, like be good at it, be committed to it, but be in it for the long term. And then
0: it's just like consistency. And so even for us for like on the real estate side, it's been, you know, you know, so now we invest in like, you know, we can buy our own properties that we occupy. I I do still have a a, a few rentals, Uh, but then it's like, hey, I I just want to be in other people's deal and like get exposure, but in a more passive way. And that you know we can just keep stacking those deals up, right? And then you get cash right. flow, you get appreciation, you get taxes, you get all the benefits. Um, but there's zero, there's literally zero work that goes into it. And so um, I think I think for a lot, it's just kind of trying to find the balance between like the risk. It's like it's it's risk, obviously, it's reward, but it's also like time. And so for a lot of people like us, and we're trying to build businesses, we don't have the time. So it's like to to invest in something that takes a lot of our time is actually costing us a lot more than just what the cash flow is.
1: So. Yeah. yeah. Anyhow, I yeah, uh, I, I know I, su- I support your decision. So <laughs> thanks. Well, and you talk a lot about passive cash flow or just cash flow in general on on your show, and you know, in in the food world, this was the aha for me a couple months ago. I'm like, because when I when I left Target and and went into um, the real estate side, trying to do real estate, it's because all I followed was real estate people, hmm. right? The Gobundance guys and Bigger Pockets, and I see all yep. these people just crushing. Them. Well, I'm going to do that too. Because I couldn't see it in the food world. Like, how the hell? I've I've been a corporate W-2 guy my entire life. And like, yep. you know, the salary was great and the bonuses were good. Like, I don't get me wrong, it, it was it was totally fine. But I couldn't see the path in the food world of how I could see it in real estate. So I, I jumped ship, I got out of food altogether for two years, uh, and came back in because I finally was like, Well, the brokerage side makes so much sense because you're paid on every sale that happens and if i just help retailers and manufacturers connect with really great products and sell a lot of product there's my there's my cash flow each month that okay so you guys I, get like a like is, is it an ongoing commission? ongoing commission on on it depends but for the most part a commission on every product that's sold through the the register like in perpetuity or is it decrease over time or it's typically they're gonna be set up for some sort of time frame and then you'll negotiate back and forth um, you know, as the contracts come up. But yeah, usually it's if if in my world, most brokers, and no offense if you're listening, other brokers, they suck. They, they don't do their job. Like I'm sure you dealt with it in mind business. Business right?
0: brokers are the same the same way too. And a lot of them it's just volume and deals, not necessarily right. like the best deal or the, you know what's best for the people it's kind of what's maybe best for for them even
1: whether it's intentional or not it, right and like i i am just default wired i i can't operate that way i'm going to really try to make the best stuff and sell the most for both people um and so the mindset that i have oh, it gets me really excited to wake up and try to sell more food products hmm. than it did to and, try to sell more real estate okay and
0: it's a cool business model cuz it's like a recurring revenue model Bingo. right where you can build this thing i guess is you know, eventually it drops off if you probably don't, you know, fill the funnel, but it's not like, you know, it's a total hustling trading time for money in a sense where, you know, as soon as you do it, you're done. It's, you get rewarded if if you did a good job and then they'll probably come back to you for the next product too, right? Like, isn't, I guess that's probably part of the, your ongoing relationship. Exactly. So, huh, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Um, so is that your, so your other book, The Vivid Vision, is, is that kind of the, the the new vision then is is kind of building this brokerage up? To to be
1: yep. a, a big player, yeah, exactly. We um the the brokerage itself right now is kind of a niche player. Um, we work with some of the really big grocers out there, but we're really bakery deli and the fresh world in general. And there's only two of us, but we manage I don't know 150 million dollars of retail sales. Okay, like it's it's pretty big considering. Um, uh, but yeah, the vision is take what I know, take what you know my partner knows, and get some more people on board and build this thing across the country. Because that's okay. what. There's a what lot do you to, need to scale. Like, what do you need to do? The biggest thing, what well, depends on the retailers we want to go after. Um, I'm I have a benefit. I live in Minneapolis, so Target makes sense. Yeah. Oftentimes, this is face-to-face stuff. So if we're going to scale, we need people in the markets we want to go after. Uh, we need a lot of people on the analytics side who are really good at numbers and data and looking at trends and helping make sense of that. Um. So it's it's finding the right salespeople to help grow, and then finding the right analytics people that can you know provide a lot of value at the end of the day. You need someone in uh, Bentonville, huh? I don't know if I want to go that route. Uh that's a different beast altogether. Yeah, we'll see. Yep. Yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm sure you could probably do pretty good with, with without them. I wouldn't mind someone down in Florida. Publix is fantastic.
0: Okay, sure. Yeah, and I like yep. Florida. Yep. Yeah, I went to school in Miami. Some. Well, oh, you did. Was, Publix was the only place that we could go to get like uh, uh, something that was similar to hoagie up up here in the Northeast, right? They called them subs, but they, um, yeah, they were the only place that had like fresh bread and like it was like way better than like kind on of the subway or whatever the other options were. Um, so anyway, you know, yeah, I, I like Publix, but cool, man. All right, well, I appreciate you coming on the, the show here and, and sharing kind of all your insight. It's definitely a cool business model,
1: and um, you know, excited to see kind of what you continue to do and and, and build the business. Well, yeah, man. I, I appreciate chatting with you, and let me uh, share a little bit about we do, what what we do here. And I mean, the food world is a it's a jungle; it changes every day, but yeah, it, it's yeah. fun to be in. Awesome. So, where can listeners connect if they're interested in in like in contact with you or learning more about what you do? I mean, the easiest thing if you just search Matt Adelman. Um, I, I have a up and coming YouTube channel. Um, I'll be launching a podcast here in in a few weeks called "The Hardest Deal." Um, but yeah if you search matt Adelman, you'll, okay. you'll be able to find me uh, youtube's probably the best yeah what's youtube about um so i talk about the hardest deal i talk about sales and marketing I talk about the food industry i talk about business and just how to you know get better at what you want to do and create the life that you're trying to create so that's kind of my mission right now between that and food and cool having fun awesome cool thanks again and uh yeah we'll be chatting thanks man
0: That's all we got for this episode with the Business with Beers podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is to rate the show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen. Also, make sure to link up with me on your preferred social media platforms, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find all my links at brianbeers.com. Please just share the podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember to take the actions others won't to live the life that others don't.